Well, hello and welcome to the Living Legacy Podcast, the heart of senior care. Through this show, we'll be looking to answer the intricate questions around the senior living industry, from the obstacles of living at home or caring for a loved one at home, to the detailed process of moving into and living in a senior care facility. We're your hosts, Corey Carroll, the Business Office Manager at Minnowood Retirement Community. And Emily Barges, Director of Community Relations at Minnowood. Join us as we discuss these various topics together and with some experts in the industry. Our goal with the show is to bring hope, inspiration, and a little bit of insight to the world of senior care. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the Living Legacy Podcast, the heart of senior care. As always, we are your hosts, Corey Carroll, the business office manager here at Minnowood Retirement Community. And Emily Barges, director of community relations at Minnowood. Well, guys, we are thrilled and honored to be joined by someone. You know, Emily, I know way back when, I think it was back in December, when uh, we started kind of pitching this this show and, and you know, kind of coming up with what the basis of the show is going to be. I know a big part of it was awareness mm-hmm. and trying to spread awareness for the condition of Alzheimer's, dementia, and everything that falls under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. One of the first people, our first organizations that came to mind when we talked about potential guest lists was someone from the Alzheimer's Association. Mm-hmm. What better what better group of folks could we get together, right, with us to share awareness than an, an association designed to shred awareness for this condition. Um, so again, we are honored to be joined by Ms. Katie McDonough from the Director of Programs and Services for the Alzheimer's Association here in this district. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. So could you, like I said, maybe, you know, I just gave a quick little synopsis, but if you could introduce yourselves to the folks, tell everybody about your role at the association. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, I'm the Director of Programs and Services. I actually oversee programs and services for Three of our four chapters in Virginia, um, Southeastern Virginia, um, Greater Richmond, and Central and Western Virginia. Um, And so those programs and services um, range anywhere from education programs in the community to support groups and also building relationships with new communities. Um, One of the things that we found is um, our biggest challenge at the Alzheimer's Association is um, hearing from people we didn't know you existed, you know, when we were going through this journey of Alzheimer's and dementia. And so that's the problem we're trying to solve. And that means showing up in more and more communities um, across the Commonwealth and across the country. So not even spreading awareness about Alzheimer's, but spreading awareness about you guys and and spreading the awareness about the resource that is out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that kind of leads us to um, the kind of goals and the role of Alzheimer's Association. Like we kind of discussed a little earlier that people are pretty familiar with the walk and they they know the flowers and they kind of know, you know, the fundraising, but I don't think a lot of people really understand like the depth of what you guys do absolutely so um yeah a lot of people know about the walk it's uh, <laughs> it's forward facing right in mm-hmm. communities um yeah. and that is very central to the work we do in raising awareness and raising funds um to do the work that we do across the country um but um, the alzheimer's association is um the world's largest um non-governmental uh, private huh. funder of alzheimer's huh. research in the world wow. um so we um um, fund, um, you know, over $250 million worth of uh, research funding. And I think we're up to 39 countries across wow. the country. And not only do we fund research, but um, we convene scientists, right? We create 
um, opportunities for scientists in a variety of ways to communicate with one another, to learn from one another, to share data, because that's a huge part of accelerating the research is sharing sharing data and learning from one another. Kind of a peer-reviewed, you know, research and all that. Absolutely. And then we also are responsible for um, advocating to the federal government for increases annually to the National Institutes of Health um, budget for Alzheimer's research. So that budget goes to those large clinical trials. That's where those treatments are coming from, right? Um, And so I'm very proud to say that in 2011, that number was a mere $448 million. And today it was, it's 300, excuse me, $3.5 billion. Billion. That's B with a B, people, if you're not, you didn't hear that quite good. And that is all because of people just like you, people listening to this podcast to Um, our advocates of the association who in their districts and in Washington, D.C., advocated for this increase over the past decade. Yeah, I I was going to follow up, but I I think you kind of took that over already of of, of what saw that that drastic increase, right? I mean, that's not not nothing to shake a hand at, right? That that is drastic. And yeah, as you you mentioned, proud to say you should be. You should be very thrilled and proud to, to say that and to be a part of that. I know you mentioned um, the funded the funded research we're going to go over some studies in a little bit that are actually Alzheimer's Association founded or funded yeah, yeah. and um, you know again that's something you guys should be proud to say as well that there are research and there are studies being done that you guys are, are a huge part of and, and founders of and funders of so I yeah. think that's that's really important um, so we went over I know a big thing that you guys wanted to talk about today and a big part of the what we're going to go over in this episode is is the disease facts and figures um, report that comes out annually yeah. from the association. Um, specifically, there's a special report inside of there that we'll get to in just a little bit. Um, I want to go over some of those facts real quick. I know Emily and I will just kind of kind of throw them out there, and then we'll elaborate on them a little bit. Um, you know, like such as you know, one in three seniors are are, are dying from the Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. Mm-hmm. Right, something along the lines of of more than six million Americans currently living with Alzheimer's. Um, and then something that I think when Emily and I were going over this report together, we probably said this number out loud four or five times, maybe individually, of deaths between 2000 and 2019 increasing by 145%. Yeah. A 145% increase um, from, again, in, in those two decades, from 2000 to 2019. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's. You know, we'll, we'll unpack that and a lot to unpack, but, you know, and especially over the last few years, right, with the the unspeakable that has happened over the past few years in, in the pandemic. Um, and we know COVID-19 contributed to a large increase in those Alzheimer's and, and dementia deaths, you know, mainly just because of isolation, right? I know inside of our community specifically, um, we saw an impact here from the isolation and, and all of that. I don't know you want to get into that a little bit. Uh, yeah, something that we noticed was um, just as soon as that isolation took everybody, they were kind of out of their routine. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, even just eating meals, it's like they, they didn't go to the same places at the same time, um, not seeing their families. They, I mean, so many were confused. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I feel like those that even had a little bit of dementia, it just exacerbated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, so that's not even necessarily them getting COVID. That's just a byproduct of it. Sure. Um, yeah. And and yeah. I was just curious if, if, it, if, it, if there was anything like that you saw with that as well. Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of different contributing factors to why we saw increased deaths with COVID-19. I think um, one was what you what you just mentioned, social isolation. Sure. Um, we, we know that the research 
research is showing that um, social interaction, particularly um, after the age of 65, is important in brain health. Um, And so if uh, the disease is already developed in the brain, if Alzheimer's is already progressing, that's only going to make, you know, the impact of social isolation, you know, The lack of activities, lack of of mental exercise, not just physical exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think as well, you know, um, it's really hard for folks who are living with dementia to follow those protocols that all of us, I mean, it's hard enough for those of us who aren't dealing with dementia, right? Right. Um, And and don't have a diagnosis of dementia through those two years to actually um, follow follow those protocols, but it becomes even more challenging and and in some cases impossible, um, you know, and and maybe, you know, um, really hard on the caregiver and the loved one themselves and when you're kind of really looking at the return on investment in that. So it was really, really hard for folks to follow those protocol day over day. And right. so that that also added added to some of that as well. Sure, yeah. I mean, you mentioned caretakers maybe in the home, right? I, I know the struggles that that facility saw, you know, dealing with those things, especially like you said, that the folks that are kind of understanding why, why do I have to be isolated right now? Why do I have to be in my room? And I can only imagine someone that is caretaking for a loved one in the home, right? And and, and the loved one, the, the one suffering with dementia is not understanding why, why can't we leave the house, right? Yeah. Why can't I go Outside. Why can't I do that? I can only can only imagine. Like you said, it's hard enough for us to understand. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, and you know, we're still learning so much about COVID nineteen. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, we we all have heard, or most of us have probably heard about the brain fog. Sure. Um, yeah. And in some cases, that can be you know long lasting over time. So, mm-hmm. um, the Alzheimer's Association has formed an international consortium that um, will, over the long term, be looking at the impact of COVID nineteen. Wow. Um, on brain health. And mm. so we want to make sure that we're, um, you know, we're applying the science to this yeah. right. so that we can learn, um, uh, you know, from a longitudinal standpoint, what, what that impact may be. So sure. we have a lot still to learn about specifically the impact of COVID-19 actually on the brain. How far along into that process are you guys? I mean, oh, two years. I mean, I guess a year, <laughs> you two years. Year? I mean, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe research began six months, yeah. you know. It's probably like oh, still evolving though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah. And, and, really and there will be many opportunities for scientists to really study that right. and, and, and give us some feedback about, you know, what maybe those long term. And we, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID-19 in the future yeah. too. So there's a lot True. of unknown left. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we want to make sure that we're continuing to try that over time. Yeah, right. it'll be ever evolving. And like you yeah. said, trying to, trying to evolve with the evolving and change with the changes and yeah. adapt to the adapt. Yeah, right. it's something we always have to kind of tackle and make sure that we're approaching the correct way as well. Um, so we had, I know why this is going to be honest, uh, some changes that occur with Alzheimer's disease. And I think I think the reason I put that in is just because we kind of talk about MCI versus Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really have a place, you know, anywhere else with this. But what are some changes that occur with Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, so um, the Alzheimer's Association is focusing um, very much um, on mild cognitive impairment. Sure. Gotcha. Um, and that that is a part of, you had mentioned, our um, the Alzheimer's Association's 2022 Facts and Figures that was just published this month. And um, the special report that we we publish alongside that every year this year is looking um, into myocognitive impairment. 
Um, and what we found is that um, a majority of Americans don't know um, what mild cognitive impairment is. Sure. But when they are told what it is, um, they're very concerned. Sure. Um, and so what is mild cognitive impairment? Because that's really what comes before Alzheimer's. Sure. Um, and that is changes in memory and thinking. Um, it could be changes in personality. It could be things like um, forgetting um, names, folks, maybe forgetting where you were going. Um, maybe getting um, confused more often, fogginess of the brain, right. but not quite enough to interrupt daily life. So oh. folks can live with mild cognitive impairment independently, right? Mm -hmm. um, they may be noticing changes. Their loved ones or friends that are close to them may be noticing changes, but people who don't know them sure. or aren't around yeah. them every day may not. Yeah. Um, the challenge is with this disease, we are still at a point where most people are diagnosed by symptoms. Hmm. So the challenge with being diagnosed with symptoms is you have to wait for the disease to progress sure. to a Before point catch where symptoms are pronounced yeah. enough that mm -hmm. it, it calls on, you know, the, the need to have a conversation sure. with, the, right. with a physician. Um, so but it, if you don't know what mild cognitive impairment is, right, you don't know, you don't know to have a, you don't know what it is. You don't know to have a conversation. Right. Right. And so the disease progresses even, even further. And I also think you kind of mentioned, um, you know, people can be high functioning, mm -hmm. which sure. I think that's yeah. a common misconception. You would think, oh, well, I would have seen that. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I think they're also pretty good since they are high functioning. They're pretty good at hiding it too. Right. Um, because they're going about their day to day and they're following a routine. And um, so, yeah. It could get pretty far before someone is like, oh, yeah, and, and like a, you say, Katie, they, maybe they're noticing the changes in themselves. And, and like Emily said, they, they notice it enough to notice, hey, I've, I've got to find a way to put this on the back. I've got to find a way to mask this a little bit mm -hmm. so people don't think I'm coming down with something. People don't think that I've yeah, got right. something, you know, that I've got to move into a place or anything right, like that. Right, yeah. right. And I think, you know, I, an important, it may seem simple, but I think an important thing for all of us to keep in mind is Alzheimer's is a progressive disease. Mm. So it's not like a virus, right? right. Like yeah. one day you have have it one the day you don't day. have it one day you have it right <laughs> sure. i mean alzheimer's progresses up to 20 years mm, it wow. develops in the brain up to 20 years prior to the onset of symptoms so you know i think we need to identify that eventually you know we're going to develop the science to a place where we can intervene mm -hmm. earlier right hopefully in that mci stage and maybe even one day um i know one day we'll be able to prior to the onset of symptoms much mm -hmm. like we now do for heart disease sure. and diabetes yeah. Right? right, and yeah. cardiovascular disease. Um, but we have to start having this conversation about myocognitive impairment. Yeah. Our culture has to start talking about cog cognitive health, right. um, particularly in later life, and, and, and not be scared of it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that stigma is going to keep us, as those treatments become more and more available, going to keep us from being able to access those. Yep. Right. If you guys continue to develop these things, like you said, I, I know that you will, and you develop these things where you can address them and, and help folks. But if we're too apprehensive to have these conversations, we're too apprehensive to talk about it. Like right. you said, even when those those treatments are there and those options are there, they're, they're not going to be utilized, right? right. Because, like the resources now we're going to get into in a little bit aren't being utilized because we're afraid to talk about it. We're, right. We have the apprehension to even bring this up in conversation, mm -hmm. those it's, it's not me type of conversation. It, it'll never happen to me or my loved ones type of right. things. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So kind of talking about awareness, sure. um, and, we, and we did just discuss, you know, like MCI um, a little bit. So it's the statistic is more than 80% of Americans know little or are not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, and something that you mentioned is there's a high, uh, high level of concern and low level of awareness. Right. Sure. And I really 
liked the way you put it because I feel like with anything else that we kind of run into, you know, if we find out we have something, like you kind of have like a sense of it or you're kind of aware of something, um, but to just kind of get like the news, like, oh, you know, we, we've got MCI, we've got Alzheimer's or there's some sort of dementia and they're just right. like shocked yeah. and they're kind of behind and now they're playing catch up with kind of, well, what do we need to do next? And yeah. um, they're kind of, I mean, we've seen in, you know, the admissions process, sometimes we have like a rush to get to a memory unit um, because they can't, they're, they can't live safely on their own anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. I just asked her to turn it down a little bit. She's like, <laughs> but yeah, and, and and like you said, I mean, so you know, or like Katie said, rather the the people that know about this are are concerned and, and they understand right. the severity of it, right? Right. But it's about spreading that awareness to to the very very vast majority of folks that don't that simply yeah. don't know about it, right. right? And I know that's kind of the main goal of the association, and especially you know of, of all these reports you guys bring out is to help promote that awareness, promote like hey, the, the again, look, the people that know about this understand the severity of it. We need to make sure that there's a vast majority of the people that, that know about this. Right? Well, and I think the other challenge that we found um, in a previous um, special report with our facts and figures, I think that was in 2020, um, wh- which was on, um, uh, you know, the, the impact on the primary care environment. Um, yeah. What One of the statistics that we learned from that survey was that an overwhelming majority, I believe it was in the 80th percentile, of physicians were waiting for their patients to bring up huh. cognitive health. Oh, wow. Really? And virtually the same amount of patients were waiting for their doctors <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to bring it up. Yeah. And it really, although um, a cognitive screening is a part of the Medicare annual wellness visit, right. it's not mandatory mm-hmm. for primary care physicians to, to provide it unless they have some kind of indication for that. Right. A reason to, yeah. And um, we're really advocating um, that we're changing um, what that diagnostic process looks right. like. And diagnosis, again, happens over time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we really want to encourage folks to advocate for themselves to make sure that they're asking for that annual wellness visit mm-hmm. um, exam, a cognitive exam, even if you're not concerned, right? Even if you don't notice anything, there, there could be a reason, there could be things going on that you're not noticing, mm-hmm. but also it helps establish a baseline, sure. right? So right. when things do change, you can see, oh, there's been a change. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know where you are and you know where to begin that. You, like you said, you, right. you know, oh, well, I know where I've been. I know what, like you said, my baseline is. Mm-hmm. I know where my maintenance is. So like you said, when anything begins to change from there, you're aware of the changes, not just, well, this could be something right. normal. Right? Early right. and accurate diagnosis are central to us right yeah. now to, um, you know, you know, reaching that, that goal of a treatment. We've yeah. got to not just advance the science and finding the treatment, but we've really got to change the culture around diagnosis. Around finding mm-hmm. it around, yeah. And yeah. that, you know, that has um, significant impacts on specific communities too. We know mm-hmm. African Americans are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's than their white counterparts. Wow. Hispanics are one and a half times likely. And yet both of those communities are significantly less likely to be diagnosed um, in at all or in a timely manner huh. or in an accurate manner. And there are many reasons for sure. this um, around those communities um, and past discrimination and current discrimination in the healthcare system. Right. Um, but we need to be, we need to make sure that we're advocating on behalf of those communities who are experiencing those those um, disparities as well. Sure, right. yeah. And I know you mentioned the cognitive um, kind of screening that is out, and you said it's optional. So right now, the only thing that's there, the only screening that could be kind of to help find this ahead of time is something that could be opted out of. Is that is that fair? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's not something that when you go in for your wellness visit, you know, there are things um, like your blood pressure sure. and certain blood work and things yeah. like that that are required as a part of that wellness visit. Um, and we would like to see cognitive health as a part of 
that part of the discussion. routine. Yeah, right? a part absolutely. of that routine discussion. And you know, it's it's challenging. The primary care setting is challenging. Sure. I mean, all of us who visit a primary care physician know that we're in and out. Yeah, and, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, as quickly as possible. Quick stop. Yeah, right. And um, that is by no fault of the of the um, of the physician. Um, but we want to, you know, especially as we're become as we're seeing um, symptoms of um, MCI and early stage Alzheimer's develop, we want to um, equip our primary care um, physicians with knowledge mm-hmm. um, of how what are the best practices for diagnosis and care management mm-hmm. and no way to reimburse, right? Oh, so sure. we're working, we, we want to make sure that they know. We've been working with um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and have um, a way for them to reimburse for that diagnosis mm-hmm. um, every six months. Um, and we want to make sure that we're creating um, new models of care mm-hmm. for Alzheimer's. So, you know, my mother had a rare form of cancer. Um, she is a survivor of that cancer. Yeah. But when she was diagnosed, the next day, it was like 6 p.m., um, the doctor called her to, to give her the results. Yeah. And by that morning, she received a phone call from a care manager from her oncology um, practice. She had a social worker, um, a care navigator. She was um, referred to a support group. Mm -hmm. She had nurses, doctors, all specialists all around her. That is not the reality for someone who's diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yeah, I was going to say, as amazing as all that is, and and thank God for all those sources, that's That's just not not the case with with this. And and we want to create that. So again, we're also working um, on a bill right now that uh, would fund what we call demonstration projects. Kind of like a pilot, a pilot sure, yeah. of that type of care yeah. um, that is reimbursed by Medicare. Wow. Um, so more to come on that. You can go to um, alz.org um, to learn more about our federal platform and how how to um, get more information. Phenomenal, absolutely. That's... Yeah, and you you mentioned um, trying to spread the education for yeah. for these PCPs. What when, what ways? How can we do that? How can we help spread the education? Help them you know, be a little bit more informed. So we're doing this in some different ways. Um, the association. Has, has really taken a systems approach yeah. to the way that we work with healthcare systems because we know that the way, the, those things that are needed for diagnosis, more time sure. and a reimbursement platform, right, for mm. that, um, that comes from a system level, right? Yeah. So that's that's one piece, right? We have to create an environment where physicians can have the resources, the time mm. and mm-hmm. and um, and that reimbursement um, mechanism to, to, to make that diagnosis. But they also, so we work with the system, Right. We're yeah. working from systems from the top down um, to help change um, how how that is done okay. um, in, in the primary care setting. But we also need to teach physicians those skills. Right. right? right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what should we be asking? Um, what should we be looking for? What are the best, you know, screening tools to use? Right. And as the science changes. Right. So we're very, very close to having access to a blood test for folks who may be at risk for Alzheimer's. So wow. this wouldn't be something that everyone will walk in to oh, the doctor. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but if we're concerned, like somebody might be beginning to show MCI signs or yeah. or it could run in their family and they're concerned, right. yeah. um, they could take a blood test that might show their risk. Huh. So we're 
getting closer wow. to that. So that's really going to shift, sure, yeah. right, what a diagnosis looks like. But yeah. we've got to make sure that we're forming those relationships and those avenues and those streams now with the um, primary care physicians in order to right. teach them those skills. Right. So we have this really great program called Project Echo. But the, um, it's actually a model that was created out of the University of New Mexico. It's used for a variety of, um, of chronic illnesses. Um, but essentially, it's like a hub and spoke model. So you have an expert hub, um, and then you have primary care physicians who are like the spokes and their practices. So we want the whole practice, right, to, or to, to, to change. So we sure. want yeah. several folks from that practice to come. Yeah. And they come together, and they um, do that education in that hub and spoke. And I'm really proud to say that we have our own hub right here in Virginia. Wow. We partner, the association is partnering with Virginia Commonwealth University yeah. um, to help create that hub. And we've got um, we've got uh, primary care practices all, from all over the Commonwealth who are wow. participating. So if we've got those in healthcare, particularly primary care settings out there that are interested in kind of accessing that, it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, where do they go to find that if there's yeah, somebody listening? They, again, they can go to alz.org. Um, and I believe it's forward slash Project Echo. They can also call our 1-800 number, um, particularly if you're here in Virginia, to get connected to the local chapter. Mm -hmm. That number is 1-800-272-3900. They can get you connected, and um, we'd be happy to put you in touch with folks that are are ramping that up. Yeah, and and, and all these links, all these websites, we'll we'll do our very best, Emily and I will, to, in the description of these episodes, wherever you're finding these these shows, whether Spotify or where the case may be, have have a link to all those things in the description of this show. Um, That way you can find those. Well, hey, guys, that's going to be all for us today. Again, as always, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at facebook.com slash Minnowood. We would love to hear any questions that you have about today's episode or in previous episodes or just questions in general. And uh, again, well, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. And thank you so much for joining us.